Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. This podcast is brought to you by Vish, a complete color management system designed by colorists for colorists, helping salons to eliminate waste, ensure consistent color and pricing, track inventory, and maximize profit. To learn more about Vish, simply text in all capitals, get Vish with no space, G-E-T-V-I-S-H, to the number 44222 for more information. Hello and welcome back. Today I have the pleasure of having a special guest, Rick Wellman from New York City, to talk about his role as a master colorist and his journey in the industry. He has had the pleasure of working with some industry celebrities, some amazing salons. His current salon is called The Salon Project by Joel Warren in Saks Fifth Avenue in New York City. So welcome, Rick. It is so great to have you. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Good to, so good to meet I met you, you Yeah, I met you when you were on the panel at the Behind the Chair show, and you were with Tracy Cunningham, Kim Vo, Guy Tang, uh, Justin Anderson. It was quite a crew on the stage. And my memory of you was that you were the most down to earth and the most real. You were happy to, you know, share some celebrity gossip, which of course all of us other hairstylists just love. You know, if we're not, (laughs) if we don't have the pleasure of meeting celebrities, we think it's this glamorous life. But I'm sure that celebrities can be Um, not so glamorous to work on sometimes, but um, I I did some homework before we had our chat and I wanted to see, you know, where your journey has taken you because you've had a lot of success in the industry. So I knew that there was going to be a really good foundation in your history as far as training, you know, like who was your mentor, who gave you um, the ability to become a master colorist. I'm very um, very, I feel very strongly about specialization in the industry. I think it's like in medicine, you know, you wouldn't go to a family doctor if you had a heart problem or, you know, you want someone who really understands and really knows their specialty. So I love that you're a color specialist and I'm sure it wasn't always that way. So just tell us how, how that all began, you know, the, the journey to specializing and your, your beginning foundation. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I started in basic beauty school in the Midwest and, you know, did what you had to do to get your licensing and learned, you know, the basic stuff, finger waves, perms, um, the stuff that we had to do to pass our test. And, um, but at that time, perms were really big too. Perms were in. So I was kind of a perm king for, in my beginning part of my career. I loved doing perms and spiral perms and piggyback wraps and, um, all, root perms, I did all of those. Um, so color wasn't in the forefront, you know, back in 1982 when I started. It wasn't really uh, as full spectrum as we have today and all the options. 
Um, but I was always, I was always painting and I was actually going to go to art school if I didn't go to beauty school. So I kind of knew I liked color and I liked mixing stuff and creating things, but there wasn't really any, any, um, big, uh, color education at that time either. So you kind of had to learn on your own. And there was one girl that worked in the salon that she was our go-to. She was an older woman, but she knew color. So anytime I had to formulate, I would go to her like my first six months, I would just say, look at that woman. What should I use? You know, it was like that. I was a little scared because color was such a, uh, it's a chemical, you know, and I didn't really know it yet. So I didn't want to just mess around with it and not know what I was doing. Um, and then I expanded and I went, but at that time I did both. In Ohio, we did both. It was cut and color. Um, and I'm happy that I learned both. I'm really happy that I learned both because, you know, when I came to New York 20 years ago, it's, it was, I was kind of shocked that, you know, there, there are, the top salons are departmentalized. And so I, I, I got a job. I landed a job right at Warren Jacomi right away. And, you know, they ask you, what department do you want to be in? And for me, it was a no-brainer because I loved color. But what I discovered was a lot of specialists didn't even, a lot of color specialists didn't even know how to pick up a blow dryer and blow dry hair. They only knew color. So I kind of had an advantage because I knew both. You know, um, well, after I went to beauty school, I, um, I joined with Paul Mitchell. Paul Mitchell, when he was alive, I was a Paul Mitchell associate and did classes for them. and and worked at a hair show with Paul Mitchell when he was alive, the, the, the real Paul Mitchell guy. And, um, and then I went to Europe and uh, went to Rita Rusk. I was actually one of her first students at her first school. And I remember she was so nervous. She had all these bracelets on her arm and she was doing this haircut in front of us and her hands started shaking and trembling and and we started getting nervous in the class. And then she just came out and said, hey, you guys are my first class. This is so important to me and I'm nervous. And so it was so nice to see, you know, somebody that I really looked up to and admired being nervous in front of her peers. So that was very, um, it was very humbling. And then she just took us all out to dinner and, and, and uh, it was a nice experience. I remember that very specifically. Um, and then I went to Sassoon's in Canada and learned haircutting, you know, precision haircutting, where we would spend, you know, three, four hours on one haircut and they would come over and examine it with a, with a magnifying glass, you know, so. A hundred percent. I went to Vidal Sassoon when I had already owned my own salon, was totally booked behind the chair. Nothing was broken as far as I thought. But I really wanted that foundation of Vidal Sassoon. And my, my daughter was nine months old. And I said to my husband, my only regret is not having trained at Vidal Sassoon. And now I feel like I never will. And he was like, why not? Mm -hmm. So I went. And to your point, I felt like I never went to beauty school. It is such a discipline. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it's so yeah. structured. And, you know, <laughs> you and I chatted right before I, I pushed record. And I told you, I am a, a rebel of Catholic school upbringing. I am so oh. tired of rules and structure. <laughs> so for me, you know, I was lucky. Stephen Moody, I'm sure you're your, um, yeah. you know who Steven is, he was my instructor. So I feel so blessed that I was able to have him teach me. He's amazing. And he would come up and, and push my shoulders back and say, stand up straight. And he kept saying, this is not McDonald's. It's not a drive-through. It's not because I kept trying to be quick, you know, because we're all trained to, you know, 
keep going, do another client, you know, volume. And I'm mm-hmm. happy to see that the, the industry has shifted to work smarter, not harder, slow down, take more time yeah. with one client. Like I'm really happy for all of those changes, but yeah, Vidal soon. And, and there's a theme already. I mean, we're, we're only a few minutes into our interview and, and what's popping out to me is your passion for education. So I think when you look back on a career on your own, as well as other people, you know, people see Rick who does the celebrities and think you're this overnight success and you're already, you're with Rita Rusk, you're with Joel Warren, you're with, you know, at the Vita Sassoon Academy, you're with the real person of Paul Mitchell. Like how amazing is that? You know, so you had, you put yourself it's not luck. It's passion. Yeah. You know, everybody sure. says, I live in, in a little town in Ohio and I can only charge this much. Well, you're living proof that you're not a tree. You weren't planted <laughs> in the ground. You can move. Yeah. yeah. And, and also even, I mean, I'm just going to say this. When I worked in Ohio, um, and I did start out in a small town in Ohio, but I always kind of... I always made sure I got busy. I was always busy and charging. Uh, I wasn't, I don't give away stuff for free. You know, I respect what I do and I, I only allow people in my chair to respect what I do as well. Um, even with my friends and my family, like mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I don't charge them, of course, the fool, but they, they respect me. They respect my time and they take care of me. Because um, it's, you know, I love what I do, but it's also, it's, it's not a hobby for me. You know, it's a, it's a career. So, um, I take it, I take it seriously and I take people's hair seriously, but yet, you know, I have a good time with them. I have fun. It's not, it's not rocket science, you know, but, but, um, it's, it's very, very important to people. And, and I've, and I've worked hard and I, I like to, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you work that hard though, when you're, when you're just doing it and you're enjoying it. But um, definitely, I, I just made sure I learned from the beginning, uh, I, and I just kept learning. I just kept learning. Um, and now I kind of just take all those little things that I learned from all these different people and make my own little signature uh, details and techniques. Um, I feel that's, that's really helped me a lot. Yeah. So another way that you were brought to my attention was you were doing a different technique using cotton pads instead of traditional foil or saran wrap and open air balayage. Um, It seems that that has been another key to your success is stepping outside the box and doing things a little differently. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, Yes, I was trying to figure out because when I first started, it was, you know, we pulled hair through a tap. You know, I mean, that was the only method we had. It was pulling through hair through a cap and making it frosted. That was the only option. It looked like, you know, little spaghetti noodles. noodles. White spaghetti <laughs> That was our, and then that, and that's what people wanted at that time too. Um, and then foils came in and some saran wrap techniques. And I kind of used all of them. And, and you know, I find they all have a purpose. You know, they all have a place. Yes. It's not that one is better than the other. Um, it's like when you're an artist and you're using different materials, you know, like if you want uh, an acrylic on slate, look a strong, you know, you're going to use your foil. If you want more of a watercolor type thing, maybe you're going to do more balayage, you know, to create an ombre. If you want more, uh, watercolor on paper, then maybe I'll pull out a different material like cotton, for example, a softer 
um, way. So it's the same as hair coloring. You know, when you start looking at, at as an art, once you know all the technical stuff, which is super important, you have to learn that first. Then I feel you can expand with your different mediums, you know, and using different materials and creating different techniques. And I found that's what's really, really helped me in the salon is just creating custom techniques for different for each client and each situation. Um, and not just pulling out the same thing every time, including your tools. You're gonna to use a different tool because all of a sudden she wants to go softer. She wants to go more natural. Um, so the cotton pads I kind of created, uh, I actually did create them um, with a hair, with a um, cotton, company i was getting a facial this woman pulled out these these pads and they were the same exact shape as as i cut my foils so i was like hmm you know can i borrow these and and she gave me a bag and because i was tired of seeing foils over processed and i was tired of running to the sink three times to wash up you know playing that game and so I wanted to see if I could use something else. And I used saran wrap before. It's nice because you can see through it. But it's so, you know, it's if somebody's doing a blow dry next to you, there goes your saran wrap, you know. So I was trying to come up with something a little more easy to use and easy on the hair. So I started playing with these little cotton pads from the facial lady. And I'm like, wow, I can get super close to the root with these. And it doesn't swell and it doesn't bleed and it doesn't overcook. And they really like the way it feels on the hair. So I worked with them, but they were a little too thin. They were a little too thin. So I worked with the, the cotton company and I said, hey, can you make these just a little more durable and less lint? And um, they sent me about 10, 12 protocols and, and there was one that I really liked. And so I said, hey, can you produce these? And next thing you know, it kind of took off into a whole nother arena with you know them behind the chair you know, invited me and wanted me to display them. They picked it up for a while. Um, and now there's another company that I use. So, um, and I do classes. I get phone calls all the time. I get, whoops, are you there? Yep. I lost you for a second. <laughs> I get phone calls all the time um, to do classes. You know, and I, I don't work for any hair color company. Um, I'm not, I don't have a contract. I'm not handcuffed to any color company. So I kind of just do it on a, uh, as needed basis and I do a consultation with the salon owner and see what their needs are and and their budget and we go from there so it's not something I do on a regular basis my regular basis is just being in the salon taking care of all my clients that's my that's my bread and butter the other stuff is just things I've added to the palette so what is your favorite as far as the techniques that set you apart what is your favorite thing that you do differently other than using the cotton uh, versus the foil Mm. Uh, I would say adding, I add, sometimes I had all three. I had, I put foil for some stronger detail, you know, some strong areas. Then I add the cotton pads for some softer and then I do a balayage in between. I will do all three of them on one head and it's beautiful because you get kind of the best of every world. <laughs> um, so I do that a lot. I do a lot of my single processes and highlights all together. Um, I do a lot of, I like a lot of blended natural looks. Um, so anything to create that is, is what I enjoy doing. I like, I like it when things look healthy and shiny and beautiful. Um, I don't do a lot of, you know, crazy blue and green and pink. I mean, occasionally, but longevity, those aren't, 
I agree. I, I really was hoping that that trend would end sooner than it has. Now they're going into the hologram version of it. Like it just mm. keeps being reinvented and popping back up. And I'm like, yeah. oh no, it's so I'm, hard on the hair. It's so. Yeah, and I'm, uh, and I'm always concerned about longevity. Like how does that yes. grow out? And how do you do a touch up? Like it just, and I, I, you know, I tend to tell clients if they really want that type of look, I'll make them a wig. You know, I'll make you a hair That's exactly what I say. I'm like, get a piece of clip-in extension, do a wig, make it temporary because your hair will thank you (laughs) when you're over it. Exactly, because, you know, every hair has a breaking point. I don't care whether you use an Olaplex or not. You know, it's hair still that we're working with. So we can't just blow it to smithereens and expect it to to stay on the hair. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Something just popped up when we were talking about that for me. Um... I'm really enjoying chatting with you. I know a lot about your career and how much attention you've been able to get, how many celebrities you've been able to work with, and you are not a big social media guy. And I, <laughs> the reason I'm bringing that up is I think that the newer stylists coming into the industry is putting so much focus and so much attention on their social media platform that they're not perfecting their craft. Mm. You know, they have this beautiful curated page that has, you know, beautiful hair that's Mm -hmm. so filtered and so Mm -hmm. staged. And then a poor, you know, client sees those photos, gets into their chair. You know, the the young people coming out are not shy about charging. You know, Mm -hmm. they have zero experience and they'll charge $350 for a highlight because somebody on Instagram said they should. So there's a little, a lot of like backward behavior, you know, you and I have been around yeah. been here since 82, yeah. I'm 89. So we've seen so many changes in the industry, but I think the reason that we're still both here and we're still making a really nice living is because we understand the 80-20 rule that, you know, 80% of what we do is our connection with the client, is our mm-hmm. having our head on straight is understanding relationships and word of mouth marketing is so critical compared to, I I get that social media is instant gratification with getting people in your chair, but are you keeping them there? I've been kind of sitting back and watching a few Insta famous people that Mm -hmm. were so excited to put on their um, bio, no longer taking new clients, you know, I'm just too fabulous and they're charging these crazy numbers and, and I'm watching the work and I'm like, okay, good for you. And then literally within a few months, it's come see me. I have an opening. Come see me. I have an opening. Uh And it's like, you can't get so caught up in that social media madness that you don't, know that you know you're stay grounded in your regular clients and your regular Mm -hmm. behind the chair Mm -hmm. life because it's fun to do all that and to showcase it but sometimes i think they're getting more attention from other hairstylists than actually getting clients from it Mm. and it's another full-time job you know yeah yeah that's a good point um yeah i I mean my social media is like maybe i'm lucky if i can post once a day but I mean, quite honestly, I don't do my social media is probably not, you know, full force because I don't have time. I'm focused on that client in the chair and I am booked all day long. Um, and, and sometimes I'll even get so excited. Somebody will come in for, for a major change 
you know, to do a before and after. And I'm like, I, I forget to take a before you forget. picture. I know, I know everyone because does. Because <laughs> I am so focused and excited on, on this client. And but as I you should, really, as you should, yeah, you know what I mean? And, it should be that way. <laughs> yeah. And I've gotten a little discouraged and I've seen the, um, the, you know, the over filtering on, on Instagram and, and the uh, fantasy, you know, it's like not a real, you know, um, and even with like influencers now, you know, I've done a lot of, we, and speaking of celebrities, you know, we were told like a year ago, oh, influencers are now the new celebrities. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a short-lived celebrity life, but um, because it's become, you know, I've worked with celebrities and then, you know, we've done these influence, these big influencers and um, I've done some hair color campaigns, even with influencers where they're supposed to be, you know, almost like these big brands, you know, cause I've worked with, I've, I've also worked with home hair color brands. They'll, they'll call me to basically make this girl look good for the picture. Mm -hmm. You know, even though they're advertising, uh, uh, it's, it's for a Clairol commercial, you know, I have to get that girl's hair to look good, but I also have to use their color also. Um, but the influencers, you know, they've been doing this, this home and I'm going to make a strong point here. The influencers came in to color their own hair. Okay. With, with a box. And then they would, they would, um, photograph them you know and show the process i had to stay behind them unseen to fix oh absolutely all the stuff you know so it's kind of it's kind of so some of my projects i'm not even allowed you know it's like but i'm telling you here i mean and this is the difference between and and i can make i can still make it look good with their product and this is the big difference a, a professional can't make it look good with any product. But if if you are a professional, you can you you can use a L'Oreal, you can use uh, anything, Clairol, Wella, any brand. Even I've had to go to the drugstore and make something happen, and I can make it happen. Right. You know, it may it's, not be my ideal. It's the hands, not the products, one hundred percent. Exactly, exactly. And I tell people that so much. You know, it's not the box, it's not the tube, it's not the box. It's 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 the person, it's the professional that's really going to make the difference, you know? Um, so yeah, the social media thing, it's, I think people are smart. People are starting to realize it's not, uh, as real as, um, you know, there's no limitations. There's no guidelines either yes. on, on, um, on Instagram and all those to how far you can push the filter, how light and dark and anything, you know? can make anything exactly. happen on Instagram. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I try to keep it kind of simple and, and real on my on my Instagram. I mean, you know. <laughs> I was talking to an editor, I think it was um, behind the chair magazine maybe, and I was saying that it's frustrating as an independent educator that it's hard to get people to find me to get the information that I have to offer because I'm not Insta famous. I don't have all that mm -hmm. going for me. Mm -hmm. And there is a, a, a little bit of ageism in our industry. You know, we have the experience, <laughs> yeah. the knowledge, and we've been beaten up along the way and we have a lot to share, but someone super young may not want to hear what we have. It's kind of like when your parents tell you things and you roll your eyes, that's kind yeah. of the, reception that you get sometimes 
but this um, editor was talking about Robert Cromines from Paul Mitchell, and you know how much mm -hmm. of a character he is. Oh, and, yeah, I used to work yeah, with him. Yeah, she said yeah. he was um, upset <laughs> about something and, and said, you know, they're telling me I have to do this social media thing to stay relevant, and I don't even know how to turn it on. You know, I don't know what to do. And, and you know, all the success that he has had and how dynamic he is of a speaker. And, you know, when he walks through the halls of a hair show, everyone knows who he is because he has the crazy hat and the outfit and everything. Mm -hmm. But the young kids coming in have no idea who this man in a kilt is. Wow. They have no idea what he, you know, and, and for the first time, he's feeling invisible because of social wow. media. So like the people like us that have all the experience don't necessarily have the technical ability to push it out there or really the, the desire to push it out yeah. there. We, yeah. we know who we are, we're confident in our skills and we don't feel the need for social um, feedback and, and mm -hmm. praise to know that we're doing a good job. We make a good living, we know by looking at our client and the happy smile on their face that that's what really is important. And it was interesting, I interviewed another celebrity stylist um, who's now doing Julia Roberts color. And I said, you know, do you have to whisk her off into a different room? You know, what's it like? And she said, you know, I really even hate the word celebrity stylist. Yeah. We treat all of our clients the same, whether they're in movies or not in movies. And she brought up a good point about the balayage trend. She said, you know, all these new Insta famous people are claiming that they created these techniques. Mm -hmm. She's like, these have been going on for 30 years from France mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the Uberts from Frederick Fakai and Constance Hartnett and all these people brought it back here 30 years ago, but didn't brag about it all over the place that they're so important. Mm -hmm. They were in love with sharing the technique that now created these Insta famous people that are now acting like it was them. So yeah. on that note, um, what would you say, you know, if it, it's such a different landscape right now, the industry, you know, commission salons are struggling to hire people because everybody thinks that they're, you know, capable of starting a suite right out of beauty school, which is a whole other chat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could go on for hours about mm -hmm. how bad of an idea that is. Um, mm -hmm. But coming from our training that we came from and the the way that the salon world was before of course there's some good things with how it is now and there's some really frightening things so if you had to have a talk with 20 year old rick who mm -hmm. you know you probably were still in ohio then is that safe to yeah say? I, was, I was so i'm sure when you look back at your journey you're like wow i can't believe i'm here right now it, it has really taken some turns and grown to places I never thought that I would be, or maybe you did, maybe you were that person that always had big dreams, but what kind of chat would you have with 20 year old Rick if he was just starting out? Well, I never, uh, to start, I never, I never had plans of being in New York. That wasn't one of my, my dreams. Um, I just kind of ended up here, uh, through relationship Okay. And, 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 and my career was also at the height in, in Ohio. So, and I, and I had some family uh, deaths and it was kind of like, I just wanted to change. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, in my career and, and everything, I guess. So the career just kind of took off once I got here, but my career actually took off in Ohio also. And I was at that glass ceiling and that's why I was kind of 
thinking, okay, what should I do next? Um, so what advice would I give myself? Um, hmm. Uh, probably a lot, <laughs> a lot, <laughs> because I didn't know nothing. I didn't know anything. I would say, um, you know, don't burn bridges and really, really uh, keep relationships, professional relationships. Um, I think that's really important. And, and actually, I think I followed that advice because, and I think that's been a really, uh, I think that's been a key also to to my career also is all of the salon owners that I worked with and even my staff when I own my own salon and even my assistants, I am, uh, I still am in communication with all of them. Um, I have a great relationship with all of them. Um, I can't say that with my personal relationships, but <laughs> none of them speak to me. But my professional relationships, um, I've kept all of them. I've kept all of them. Um, and I've learned something from all of them. Definitely. I've learned something from all of them. And taken a little bit of each and you have to customize it with, with what works for, for, for me, for Rick. And I think that's the key is, you know, creating your own identity but still being a, a team is always the challenge in this industry. You know, it's like we're, we're playing a team sport, but then, you know, somebody wants to be, you know, on their own. And, mm -hmm. and, and I've, I like being in a team. I've realized that I like a team. I like like-minded people to motivate me. I don't think I could work in a little solo chair salon by myself um, just because I like being around people and, and my coworkers. Um, yeah, I would say that would be, that would be strong advice is relationships, professional relationships. Now, I'm I didn't realize that you owned a salon at one point. So um, yes. let's chat about that a little bit because mm -hmm. I just, right before I, I got on with you, I just hung up with um, someone that I'm doing some coaching with. Mm -hmm. And we both agreed that, you know, wouldn't it be nice to be our employee? You know, when I owned my mm. salon, I ran the salon the way that I would want to be treated as an employee. So mm -hmm. things were always leaned in the employee's favor and not me as an owner. Mm. And I think there was always a little bit of resentment around it, that like mm -hmm. I'm running mm -hmm. around and paying for everything and making it rain. Yeah. And they're just well, showing up and everything's yeah. there. So yeah. I often thought, you know, let me just hire a manager, put them in my shoes, and I will just be behind the chair. But there's an element of what makes you want to have your own business a lot of times is control issues, and I have lots of them. So when I would try to put myself in a day in the life of just working behind my chair, I realized that I didn't like the choice in the music. I didn't like the temperature. I didn't like, you know, there were so many things mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have control over in another salon. So how did you make that switch into becoming, mm -hmm. you know, on somebody else's team, living by somebody mm -hmm. else's rules? And, mm -hmm. and do you miss being in charge or were you relieved of not having that anymore? I'm relieved. <laughs> I'm relieved. Um, uh, it was, it was great. I had it for seven years with a, with a partner and you know, here's what I'm going to say. If you have a 50, 50 partner relationship, it's always going to be a little bit of a tug of war because you're never going to agree totally. So 100%. sometimes you're at a standstill and nothing will get done if you're at a 50, 50 relationship. Um, 
So that was kind of tough. And, and also it was really tough because I have a hard enough time managing my own creative self because um, I do think out of the box a lot and I'm very focused when I'm in the chair with the client. And it was really hard for me to have eyes in the back of my head and try to try to manage a whole another salon of creative people. Um, it was hard for me. Um, though it was successful, it was successful. It was busy and did well, but I was just fine. I wasn't really enjoying it. <laughs> and to be honest, it was like, and when you look at the numbers, it's like, I'm not really taking home any more than I took home when I was behind the chair. A hundred, a hundred percent. And nobody so, really will ever understand that until they do oh, it themselves. Right. Yeah. So the numbers weren't adding up to, to what I had to do the amount of work I had to do. Um, it just wasn't adding up for me. And so I, I like it this way so much better. I like it this way so much better. Um, and without you even saying seven years, I would have said to you, mm-hmm. how long were you open around seven years? As soon as you said partner, the partner and the seven uh-huh. years go hand in hand. Partnerships, <laughs> I don't care if it's like your BFF, your ride or die right. that you've known since yes. birth. It is a dynamic. Marriage is hard enough, but business partnership mm-hmm. is beyond marriage. The decisions that need totally. to be. And totally. the seven-year point is a statistically proven number that mm-hmm. in seven years, people that work with you, no matter how much they love you, they're starting to get the itch of what else is out there. The grass is always greener. You know, mm-hmm. Let me explore another salon. So the seven-year mm-hmm. mark is very common for walkouts in salons. It's very common for salons to close because they say you either make it or or don't in the first five years. So seven years is kind of like we made it, but do we really want to anymore? Yeah, (laughs) right. And that was my choice. I I was, I said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to renew. I don't want to move any further with this. So um, yeah, it was definitely a choice and it was, I mean, it was busy, you know, we were making money, but it just wasn't worth it for me. The, the right. payoff wasn't wasn't there for me. Yeah, I think <laughs> ego plays a big role in it, and I don't sense a bit of ego coming from you. You know, some people would continue on because you didn't want to make it look like you had failed because you were having mm-hmm. success. And you know, everybody has a story. You know, every decision I've yeah. ever made in my career and in my business, there's so many versions of the truth floating around. And I finally <laughs> reached a point that I really didn't care because to your point earlier, when we were talking, it, it really comes down to your own individual happiness. And if you're not happy, mm-hmm. it, it is felt, you know, it's yes. definitely an energy yes. that you put out and life is too short to be unhappy worrying about what anyone else thinks. I, I want to be each day. I want to be a better me than I was yesterday. I don't want to be better than Rick. I don't want to be better than, you know, anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's just, am I being the best me that I can be? And to your point about personal relationships, I think the more that you own that and you do start to put yourself first, I think your personal relationships start to suffer because they mm. love dysfunctional you. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're no longer oh, yeah. dysfunctional, you're your people that are were sharing in your dysfunction are like, what the heck's wrong with him? He's, he's, he's lost his mind. Oh yeah. You yep. know? So there's a lot of that as well. And I think in our industry, I think that the, um, the emotional intelligence part is not talked about enough. And that's, that's my passion as an educator to share with people, 
you know, the emotional side of things and, you know, taking care of self before you take care of everyone else. It's the airplane oxygen mask. And it sounds like you've, you've gotten your oxygen mask routine down and you're happy. You're, you're in a place where you get to be in a beautiful, I can just imagine how beautiful your space is and sacks and, you know, Joel is known to, to have a beautiful, very nice space and, and a lot of good training and all of that. So it sounds like you found a nice little, little corner of the world to, to do what you do best at this point. Yeah. Yes. And, and, um, you know, Joel, Joel actually gave me my first job in New York. I was his assistant when I first moved to New York, you know, I had no clients. So I had to start minimum wage being an assistant. And this is after being in Ohio, you know, With and I was book. making yep. over full book over six figures at a salon wow. there. Yeah. And I came to New York. Um, now, one of the ways I was able to do this, though, to, to pay my rent was I would fly back to Ohio every six weeks for right. one week. And, and Joel allowed me to do this. And so did my other salon owner in Ohio. I would work for a week in Ohio so I could pay my rent in New York. Yeah. <laughs> until I got, you know, enough clients until I, you know, proved that I could um, be on the floor because they, they don't, in New York, they don't care what your experience is. If you don't have clients, you will assist. Yeah. And so um, that was, uh, so nothing's handed, nothing, nothing is handed, especially in New York. It's uh it's very territorial getting the chair, you know, because, because real estate is very high and chairs are premium and there's a lot of competition so you really have to work for your chair and that's one thing that um, doesn't come easy in new york especially and even everywhere you know like i said the the younger generation doesn't value that mentorship time you know it's mm -hmm. they think that they're getting ahead by skipping over it but then they're going mm -hmm. into a suite where they're paying rent out of pocket which talk about being broke it's one thing to work for mm -hmm. minimum wage and not have rent but another to rent a space and have no income coming in it's just to me it's it's mind-boggling that people have the confidence to even think that that's a good idea um, yeah. but I love, I love the system in Europe, how it's a three-year apprenticeship. I feel like I really long for the day that instead of deregulation and doing away with licensing the way that they're talking about doing now, I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is letting someone like you, someone like me to take people on and say, stand by my side and I will teach you how to be a hairdresser. Work for me. Yeah. You know, it's an, an even exchange. You don't pay them. They don't pay you. There's no $21,000 beauty school. And they learn real skills behind the chair that help you to live, to earn a living, you know, not sitting in a classroom mm -hmm. with a textbook for 1200 hours and then messing up people's hair for two years afterwards because mm -hmm. you don't yeah. really know what you're doing. It's, it just seems so backwards and it's so frustrating. I know. You know, yeah. but it's, it's, I'm one person. Hopefully, <laughs> well, it, it sounds like they're trying to make some changes. So hopefully, but um, yeah. And, and back to Joel, Joel was actually the first person who showed me how, how to do a single and a highlight at the same time. Like, mm -hmm. you know, so, so, um, and he, you know, I worked with him for well over 10 years in, in 
you know, when he had a salon at Warren Chicomi. And now when he opened up this, it was kind of like, I knew he was opening. So we've, and we've always been in touch and had a good relationship. And um, it was, the timing was perfect. And I'm super happy to be, to be back with him. And he's one of those people too, that, you know, he works on the floor as well. So it's nice to see some, you know, an owner working on the floor with you as well. Though that's not his goal. He doesn't have a lot of time for that, but he, you know, he'll get his hands wet. Which mm-hmm. is nice. I like that. <laughs> no, and it's nice that you came full circle, that you started out yeah, with him yeah. and now you're, and to your point about burning bridges, you know, the old school, you know, sneaking in the computer and getting your names and all mm-hmm. that. That's the one nice thing that I see with technology is that owners aren't living in fear of their, my client, the client hoarding, because in yeah. the end, honestly, it's the client's decision where they want to yeah. go. When I look back on all that, I'm like, it's crazy. Yeah, we don't own people. Yes. You can't own people, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's crazy that it ever was like that. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, How can people find you if they want to follow along on your journey? Do you have an Instagram or do you want them to follow you on Facebook? Yeah, and it's it's, um, pretty straightforward. Just Rick Wellman. Um, on Instagram and Rick Wellman on Facebook and Rick Wellman on Twitter. So it's not a very creative uh, title, but um, I try to keep it simple, like I said. Yeah, simple is best. They'll they'll always be able to find you by your name. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. And um, I look forward to sharing your story with with all of the people listening. So guys, thanks for joining and I will see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. For more information on hair color education, please visit my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com. See you soon.